morning, everyone. Well, it's great to, to be here with you guys. It is, you know, although it's Easter and it's a time that we really focus on the resurrection of our Lord, it's really every weekend we do that. We celebrate that, but this time we really want to highlight that. And so this morning, hopefully, you know, obviously we'll be in the Gospels. We are going to look at the resurrection according to the Gospel of Matthew. So turn to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses this morning and really find out what Easter is all about. I was trying to remember to my youth when I was, you know, so many years ago, what did I used to do at Easter? Because, you know, I wasn't brought up in the church. And so Easter, I think, if I could remember correctly, it was, you know, going to a relative's house, hunt, hunting for eggs, which is, you know, a lot of fun as a kid. And I know that our families would, like, put money in one egg, and so we'd all try to find that golden egg. I don't remember how much it was, but to a kid, it was just fun doing that. But I, I don't really know what Easter meant, you know. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of our world today is still celebrating Easter that way, that the height of their... Sunday on Easter is Easter egg hunting, and maybe somebody's made a nice ham. For I don't know, ham goes with that. Does anybody eat ham on? We had ham sandwiches in there, by the way. But I don't know what that. I love ham, so you know, I wish my wife liked ham because then I would eat it more. But anyways, so I don't know. Ham got associated with Easter, and I'm sorry, but we're gonna find out what the real message of Easter is. In a title and called the Angelic Message of the Resurrection. But before we do that, let's pray one more time and ask God to bless our time. Lord God, we again thank you for this day and all the significance that is packed into this day. And as I mentioned, Lord, we celebrate you not only on Sundays and this Sunday, but every day for what you've done for us. And I pray this morning that the realization of your resurrection. And the power of your resurrection would be known by each and every one of us this morning in this room. That we might leave here even more transformed by the power of your resurrection. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter 28. Let's start there. Let's, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Then I'm going to point out, highlight a few things about the angelic message and then how that applies to us today. Because as John mentioned, all of history, and I like how he mentioned art and music, maybe not modern music, but, you know, literature and all those things really are heavily influenced on Christianity. And that's, I remember somebody asking me the other day about how I got interested in history so much that I am, is because as I was going to school, I realized how much Christianity is talked about in history books. And I was like, you know what, that is really cool. Just, you know, Christianity is a historical religion. It's, it's real. And so I got involved in and studying history and majored in history for that reason. But anyways, let's look at the story here as it's told in Matthew 28. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heavens and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him, became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was laying, or where he was lying. 
Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. So there we have Matthew's short account of the resurrection and what happened initially with the two women. So let's look at that now, going back to the beginning. The setting, again, is early Sunday morning. And Matthew highlights two of the women that came. And obviously, if you're familiar with the Gospels, there were more women. But for whatever reason, Matthew is highlighting the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and another Mary. And so they come to the grave. And isn't that what... They, well, they come to the grave, and you see what it says in verse 1? They came to look at the grave. Look at the grave. And isn't that what people do sometimes when they go to cemeteries to visit one's loved ones who have passed on? It's to sit and you kind of look at the grave, and maybe you talk to the person or whatever it is that you do to make you feel better. So they were just going about and doing what everyone else has come to do when a loved one has passed on. They go and visit where they have been buried and they came to visit the one who has been buried in the tomb and they didn't expect to find what they found obviously they figured this is the final resting place this is where we come and be as close as we can to our lord jesus whom they believed was dead and other gospels tell us that they took spices to anoint the body which eventually they would leave there as well because they took off because of what they saw but they didn't go there expecting to see an empty grave. They came there to talk to their Lord or to anoint, to anoint him with spices. But sometime before their arrival, let's see what happened in verses 2 through 4. Something happens. It says, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. So the angel coming down is the one that caused the earthquake. And he rolled the stone away. Throughout Scripture, there's some very significant instances when God reveals something to somebody that there is an earthquake that comes before it. If you remember when Moses was, when God was going to reveal the law to Moses, there was a great earthquake. Or even Elijah at Mount Horeb, when God revealed himself to Elijah, there was a great earthquake. And now here, God is going to reveal the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and there is an earthquake there at the site. And so we're told, again, this is all happening, I believe, before the women get there. So there's an earthquake. The angel rolls the stone away, and he sits upon it, and it says that his appearance, the angel, is like lightning, and his appearance is like snow. So it's very bright, very brilliant. It, it would be a terrifying sight, as we can see in the next verse, because it says in verse 4 that the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Could you imagine, again, seeing an angelic being of some sort with a bright light in front of you? And you're not expecting to see that. Again, every instance in Scripture when somebody comes upon something like this, they usually fall down in fear. And so that's what happened here with the soldiers. And again, so much so that they shook and they became like dead men. And these were strong Roman soldiers who probably didn't frighten easily 
but at the appearance of an angelic being, it must be pretty frightening. So in this scene, now the women come upon this in verse 5, because the, the angel just starts talking to the women. And the women didn't get frightened like the guards who were froze like dead men for whatever reason. But they did come upon this scene, this scene and again, they're coming to a grave. They're thinking it's going to be peaceful and calm. And here they come upon this scene with bright lights. And as I was thinking of how scary that might be, imagine coming to your home at the end of work in the evening. You think, I'm just going to come home and pull into the driveway, and there's bright lights. Even if it was, you know, police sirens. How scary that would be. Or a camera crew with bright lights on your house. You're thinking, what is, what's going on? You might pause for a minute and be frightened by that because you don't know what happened. Something must have happened. There's so many people here. There's bright lights on my home. In some sense, I think that's what happened upon these women. They were just walking to the place where Jesus had been buried, and they come upon it, and there's bright light shining from the angel. But not only that, they see a tomb opened up where their Lord had been laid. And they knew where he was laid because in another gospel it tells us they saw him put into the tomb. So they knew that's where he is. But the stone is rolled away and there's an angel outside. And this is the message that the angel gives to them. And it's a message of comfort and assurance. And as we'll see in a few moments, it's the same comfort and assurance that each and every one of us can have this morning. So the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid. Again, they come to the scene, bright light, stone rolled away, where their Lord was to be. And the first thing the angel says is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of our parents. Don't be afraid of what's happened. Right? He says, I know you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Again, it would be as if I came upon my house and the police were there. And they saw me come and they said, hey, don't be afraid. Everybody is okay. That would, you know, lower the anxiety or the worrying for a moment. But then you'd be like, well, then why are you here? <laughs> are you here for me? <laughs> no. Did you finally catch me speeding? No. Don't be afraid, he tells Mary and Mary. For I know who you're looking for, Jesus. He has been, uh, who has been crucified. So he starts with that. Don't be afraid of what you see. Don't be afraid of what's going on. We know you're here for Jesus. And look at the message that he gives her, or both of them, in verse 6. He's not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come see the place where he is laying. So there's a few things here in this verse that should bring them comfort, and we're going to talk about those right now. First of all, he's saying Jesus isn't here. The body's been, is, he's been risen. He hasn't been stolen. Because that is initially what they might have thought. If the tomb's open, somebody went in there and probably stole the body of Jesus. But the angel's saying, no, don't worry. The body of Jesus has not been stolen. He doesn't say the exact words. But he tells the women, he's risen. He's not here. And he risen just like he said. And I want to talk more about that moment. But the body's not stolen because that was a, a big deal back then. As a matter of fact, if you remember earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, the reason the guards were there at the tomb is to prevent 
the disciples from stealing the body because the religious leaders were saying, hey, we remember him saying after three days he's going to rise from the dead. So in order to prevent the disciples from stealing the body and say, hey, he's risen, let's put a Roman guard out front. And so that's one example there why it's not risen from the dead. Or excuse me, not stolen from the grave. But instead he goes, he gives them some comfort. He says, he's risen just as he said. He's told you this before, that this is what was going to happen. As a matter of fact, in just two, let me just give you two examples of this from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, you could turn with me to Matthew 16, looking at verse 21. Jesus himself had predicted that this was going to happen. This wasn't made up by the disciples after the fact. Again, the religious leaders knew this. That's why they put the guard out front. They had heard this. So obviously it was a public teaching of Jesus. But in Matthew 16, 21, he's talking to the disciples and he says, and it says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and then look and be raised up on the third day. So Jesus began teaching them this over and over again. And then one last verse turned to Matthew chapter 20. Looking at verses 18 and 19. He says this. Nope, that's the wrong. Oh no, here we go. 18 and 19. He says, uh, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. So again, these are things that Jesus told his disciples so often that even the religious leaders knew about this. And so here the angel is comforting Mary and the other Mary and all the other women who are with them saying, He is risen just like he told you guys he was going to rise. The body hasn't been stolen This is supposed to bring them comfort and assurance. And if you don't believe me, he says, go look at the place where he was lying. The other Gospels tell us exactly what they did, right? They went into the tomb. We don't have the details here in the Gospel of Matthew, but if you take all four Gospels and even the book of Acts, you have these facts about the resurrection. And one of them is this, that the tomb is empty. So the tomb being empty means something happened to the body. Either it was stolen, uh, Jesus rolled the stone away himself after being heavily beaten and crucified, right, and wrapped up and inside the tomb for three days. He moved it. Uh, or what else? Or he rose from the dead like he said he was going to. There's various number of theories that you can check out. And so he's telling them, go look. Go firsthand and see the evidence. So number one, the tomb's empty. Number two, the heavy stone is rolled away. So something miraculous has happened, and the guard aren't here anymore for some reason. The Roman guards are no longer around, and again, they were set there to prevent the body from being stolen. And if you were a Roman guard and you didn't obey orders, you were probably put to death by the order of Pontius Pilate. Right? Roman soldiers obeyed orders. They didn't just leave their posts. So something miraculous happened for them to leave their post. And then in the Gospel of John in particular, we're told that the the linens of Jesus' body was still there 
at the place where his body was. So if he was stolen, and we've talked about this before when we went through the Gospel of John, grave robbers probably would have took the body and all the linens together. They wouldn't have taken the time to unwrap the body and leave it there and then take it and holding a bloody, beaten body. So they probably would have just took it. But by the proof of linen being set, there is another example that something other than a stolen body happened. Not only that, the head cloth was folded nicely and neatly and set at the, at the head of where the body was. Again, if you were stealing a body and there were Roman soldiers outside that you maybe just overcame and overpowered, you wouldn't take the time to fold the head cloth and sit it there. So what happened? <clears throat> Obviously, we say the body rose, that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what happened. Something else that we need to think about, that nobody after this could produce the body or bones of Jesus Christ. If Jesus really did not rise from the dead, then somebody, please somebody, produce the body. That's all you had to do to squelch this rumor of a resurrection. He didn't rise. Look, at he's dead. He's just moved. They moved him to another tomb is another theory. For what purpose? I don't know. To trick everybody? The, God, the, uh, the book of Acts also records the transformed power of the disciples. The disciples were first-hand witnesses of this resurrection and seeing Jesus risen from the dead. If they were pretending that he rose from the dead, do you think all of them would have been transformed the way they were? For what purpose? They didn't gain prestige. They didn't gain power. As a matter of fact, they were persecuted severely their entire life for this uh, resurrected belief that they had. Not only that, Jesus' brothers, who weren't believers before he died, after he died, became believers. Now, I love my brother very much, but he would have to rise from the dead to prove to me that he was Jesus Christ, or believe that he was a God or a deity of some sort. Think of all of you who have brothers or sisters, and they were claiming to be God. We would all think they were crazy, right? Now, if they died and rose from the dead and presented themselves before you, we might have to take a second thought about how great they really are. And that's what happens with Jesus' brothers. It wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead and demonstrated that he had risen from the dead that they became transformed, and even James was a leader of the early church. And what about the Apostle Paul, who was a persecutor of the church? What did he have to gain by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ? As a matter of fact, he says he counted everything as loss when he became a believer. He lost everything. He was beaten many times over, shipwrecked, left for dead, all because he preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So nobody in that first century was going to pretend that Jesus rose from the dead and then be persecuted all their life. It would have to be centuries removed that you could say, well, we believe, like us, we believe he rose from the dead and we're willing to die for it. But to have firsthand knowledge that Jesus really didn't rise from the dead and be willing to die for it is pretty crazy. And I think this is just a few examples of, and I think verifiable proof and evidence that says something miraculous happened with the body of Jesus Christ. And so, the point of that was, that the angel said, go and check it out for yourself. And I would say for those of you this morning who still doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ, go and check it out. Don't stop at the tomb and go, oh, 
Jesus is in there, cool. The stones rolled away, cool. No, check it out. Because as John said in his prayer earlier, it is a pivotal event. As a matter of fact, if Christ is not resurrected, the Apostle Paul even says this, then we of most pity, we are most people are to be pitied, and we should all leave and just go hunt for Easter eggs and eat ham because there's no reason to be here. Okay, so back to our text. So verse 6, once again, he says, He's not here. He has been, he has risen. Just like he said, come see the place where he was lying. So that's the message that the angels give to the women. And so verse 7 now is their last message. They say this, or he says this, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you are to see him. Behold, I have told you. So he gives them two more instructions. With this knowledge that you have, Mary and Mary and the other women, this comfort and assurance that the angels have given them, he wants them now to go and comfort and assure the disciples. Go and tell the disciples the exact same thing that he has risen from the dead. So that's the message to them. Go and tell them. Go encourage them because they're still held up in a home. They're upset. They're sad. They're thinking Jesus is still dead. And so they're going to take that message to them. But not only that, he also says go to Galilee because they want, Jesus wants to meet everybody there. So not only tell them that he's risen, but tell them that he's going to meet them. He's going to see them in Galilee. So with that message, look at their response in verse 8. And so they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. So they leave and they're on their way to tell the other disciples. And then verse um, 9 and 10, I think the women are rewarded for their faithfulness. Because guess what? They finally see Jesus themselves. Look at verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. So that tells us that they had fallen down in worship of the Lord Jesus, the risen, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, holding on to his feet. They worship him. And look at what Jesus tells them. He tells them the exact same thing the angel said. He confirms the message of the angels. He says, do not be afraid. Go ahead and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee and they will see me. So just like the angels told the women, don't be afraid. Jesus, don't be afraid. But go and tell my brethren that I'm going to see them. And so that's exactly what the women do. So with this message of comfort and assurance, they run and tell the disciples. And as you could tell, this is the same message of comfort and assurance that you and, and I have as well. The angelic message of the resurrection brings comfort and assurance to us. To you and me, or at least it can, if you believe it. Let me give you just seven uh, points of application as we close this morning of how this brings comfort to us. How can the, the message of the resurrected Lord bring comfort to us? Well, number one, it confirms that Jesus really is God. No other religious leader claimed that he was going to die and raise again and actually did it. Only Jesus did. In the Gospel of John, 
John says that these things were written to show you that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that if you believe on him, you'll know that you have salvation. Because Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Not only that, secondly, we can trust the words of our Lord. If Jesus has said something, he's going to do it. It's true. By virtue of the resurrection. If he is the Lord, he doesn't lie. Scripture tells us that God cannot lie. Therefore, if Jesus is God, he cannot lie as well. And we can trust the words of our Lord and Savior because of the resurrection. Thirdly, and probably uh, one that I like the most, is that Jesus defeated death. That means we no longer have to be afraid of death. Now, it's sad to think, you know, we'll miss people and we'll miss loved ones that go on before us. But the great message of the gospel, or one of the effects of it, is that guess what? We will each see each other again and be with them for all eternity, never to be separated again. That is a great message of hope and assurance and of comfort. Jesus defeated death, and Scripture tells us that this happened at the resurrection. Let me give you a few examples. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. You can turn there with me if you'd like, or it'll come up on the screen. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said this, talking about the resurrection. But now, speaking of Jesus Christ, has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, meaning the resurrected appearing, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When did Jesus abolish death? At the resurrection. Again, going back to what John, Pastor John was mentioning in his, one of the prayers, is that, oh death, where is your sting? It's because of the resurrection that death has no more hold on humanity. That all humanity will live on for eternity. Those who trust in Christ will live in everlasting comfort and joy. And those who don't will go off to everlasting suffering. But the point is, is that Jesus secured this at his resurrection. Another thing that Jesus secured at his resurrection was just the fear of death. He took away the fear of death. And he took the power of the death of death that Satan holds over every human being. Turn with me. You'll see this in the book of Hebrews. I really like this verse. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. This is what's written here. It says, Therefore, since children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, speaking of Jesus, also partook of the same, meaning Jesus came and partook of flesh and blood. That through death, meaning his death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, which was Satan, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. That's humanity. That's probably one of the greatest fears outside of public speaking. You've heard that, that people have. Is fear. Some people would rather die than speak in front of people. Obviously, that's not me. <laughs> I'd rather speak in front of people than die. <laughs> but some people are just are so, I mean, most people are afraid of death. The unknown and the pain and the suffering and, and not seeing anybody anymore. What is out there? Well, if you're a believer, there's 
comfort. There's hope. There's no more pain. No more suffering, as the book of Revelation tells us. No more tears. All that is gone. And we, we rule and reign with God for all eternity. But here he's saying, in verse 15, and might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So we no longer have to be a slave to the fear of death because Christ has secured eternal life for each and every person who trusts in him through what? Because he died on the cross? No. Because if he just died on the cross and stayed there, then it means nothing, which we'll see in a few moments. But he rose again, therefore, therefore defeating death. The fourth, the fourth truth that can bring comfort and assurance to us is what I just mentioned, that our sins are forgiven. Our sins weren't forgiven just because Jesus died on the cross. Because I'd mentioned if you were here on Good Friday, anybody could die on a cross. As a matter of fact, hundreds of people died on the cross in the first century at the hands of Rome. But it was that he rose again. As a matter of fact, this is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verses 16 through 19 specifically. He says this, For if the dead are not raised, speaking of resurrection, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Meaning if you don't believe in the resurrection and all that you believe in is Christ died for your sins on the cross, the Apostle Paul said that's nothing. That doesn't mean anything. That you're, matter of fact, he says you're still in your sins. And not only that, he, he continues on. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That means all the believers who believed in Christ, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, they're died and they're lost for all eternity as well. And then finally he says, in those who have, uh, verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men most to be pitied. I mentioned that earlier. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then what we're doing is just a social club. It's just philosophy. And it has no meaning beyond that. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives Christianity all its meaning. No other religious leader or philosophy can claim that. Or has demonstrated that. It is only Christianity and only Jesus Christ. Which is why I said at the very beginning that the resurrection proves that Jesus really is God. And again, this resurrection was secured when Christ uh, rose. Or our forgiveness was secured when Christ rose from the dead. Matter of fact, let me give you one more verse here in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He says this, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile towards us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When? When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over, triumphed over them through him. That's talking about the resurrection. He didn't triumph over death until he resurrected. 
and he disarmed the devil, as we saw in the book of Hebrews, at the resurrection. So that's when our sins are forgiven, because Jesus rose from the dead. So those are four things so far, that Jesus really is God, that we can trust the words of our Lord, that Jesus defeated death, and fourthly, that our sins are forgiven. Fifthly, and I mentioned this already, that we will be resurrected to newness of life. Because of the resurrection, the comfort and assurance that you and I have who trust in the Lord is that we too will be resurrected to newness of life. In John chapter 11, uh, look at verses 25 through 26. Let me get there. Remember at the, uh, when Lazarus had died and Jesus was talking to his sisters, he says in verse 25 of chapter 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will, even if he di- will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the question Jesus posed to Martha. Do you truly believe this? That if you believe in me, you will never die. Even if you die, you will live. That's the resurrection. Because of what Christ has done, because he is the resurrection and the life, you and I will also be resurrected to newness of life. Jesus guarantees our resurrection. So that's one reason, at least for me, is why I don't fear death. Because I'm not going to be laying in the grave for all eternity. Is I'm going to be resurrected at the second coming and my soul is going to be joined with my body and it is going to be a brand new body. And maybe I can get tanned from now on. That would be awesome. Instead of just getting red and peeling, I will, I'm going to have an awesome tan in heaven. I think. I, that's not in the Bible. That's just, you know, anyways. that's like extra level knowledge. No, just kidding. That's my comfort and assurance, I tell myself. No, just being there will be great enough. I don't care what I look like. Six. Let me give you a six uh, message from this morning, or a six point of application. Sis, is that Jesus is ever present with us. Even though Jesus has resurrected and has ascended to heaven, he does not leave us as orphans. He even said this to his disciples in John chapter 14, in verses 16 through 20. Jesus is always going to be with us. And that's through, this whole, through the Holy Spirit that now resides in each and every believer. He says this in John uh, 14. Look at verses 16 through 20. He says this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you after a little while while the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. And in that day you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. So again, Jesus was just telling his disciples, we don't have time to go through this. You can look at one of the older sermons if you want to understand it fully. That Jesus is going to be with us by the giving of the Holy Spirit that has now descended upon every believer in Christ. We're no longer alone. Even if your whole family abandons you, your husband, 
your wife abandons you and you're in Christ, you will always have the Lord Jesus Christ with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. As a matter of fact, next week we're going to talk about the Great Commission and the conclusion of this and the rest of uh, Matthew. That Jesus again promised his disciples, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or I am with you till the end of the age, until he returns and fully consummates all things. Lastly, the last point for this morning is that we too can share these comforts and assurances with others. Just as Mary and the other women were told to go tell the disciples these things, you and I are also told to go and tell other people these things. It's what I'm doing this morning with you. I hope that this message this morning is bringing you comfort and assurance in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we can bring these words to each other as believers. Again, that's one of the great reasons why we should meet every weekend or often to encourage each other, to comfort each other, to ensure each other. It's foolishness for believers not to gather together, to think that, you know, I don't need church. I'm good. I got it all until something bad happens. Then they're back in here the following Sunday, right? For some reason, Christians can sometimes think, okay, I, I got it together now. I got it. I got the message. I'm going to put those seven points of application in my life and I'll see you next Easter or next whenever. You're missing the point. You're missing the point of gathering together. Again, we need one another. We're told to gather together to comfort, to ensure, to assure each other of our faith. But not only that are we told to tell their believers, but we need to tell people that don't believe. When we get the opportunity to share the truths of the resurrection, of all these things, again, look at these things, that Jesus is really God, that you can trust the words of our Lord, that Jesus defeated death, that our sins are forgiven, that we will be resurrected to newness of life, that Jesus is always with us. Those are things that the world, even if they don't think they need to hear, they need to hear them. Because Jesus died for all men. And he wants all men to experience fellowship with him. And we have this great message. This Easter, let's commit ourselves that when we get the opportunity to share these truths with each other and with those who don't know. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you once again for the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ who because of his resurrection has secured so many things, because of his resurrection has made our faith real and meaningful and gives us assurance and comfort of all those things that we've spoken about this morning. I pray that each and every one of us this morning who believes on you would be comforted and assured of our faith. And I pray for those this morning who have not yet truly resolved in their hearts to believe in the resurrection that they would do as the both Marys did when the angel said to go and check out the tomb. Go and see where Jesus had been lying. I pray this morning that those who are still waffling in their belief in the resurrection would go and check it out. That they would not stop short because they are missing out on so much. That they would know and understand the power of your resurrection. And Father God, I also pray for those this morning who have not yet given their lives to you, who truly don't 
have forgiveness of sins, who truly have no hope of eternity with you, that this morning, Lord God, in their hearts, that they would cry out to you, that they would believe on you, they would believe on your work and on your name, and they would repent of their sins and follow after you. I pray that this morning, Lord God, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.